the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets with your co-hosts, the Finance Coast and Mohamed Nala. Together, we have more than 25 years of combined experience in the markets. For those looking to take their market and business knowledge to the next level, we offer Magic Markets Premium, a research reports and podcast library that nearly has 100 reports in it and a new one every week, all available for just 99 Rand a month. Recent reports have included the likes of Kroger, Deer & Co, Foot Locker, McDonald's, UPS, Apple, Meta, Johnson & Johnson & Swatch. With broad variety and deep research, this is perfect for anyone looking to go to the next level. We invite you to join us in Magic Markets Premium. Go to magic-markets.com to subscribe. This episode of Magic Markets is brought to you by B2IT. Have you heard of Robotic Process Automation or RPA? It taps into the incredible potential of artificial intelligence to effortlessly handle those never-ending, monotonous tasks. Or as B2IT put it, they make robots so people don't have to be robots. Visit b2it.co.za to kickstart your business automation journey. We thank B2IT for their support of Magic Markets. Welcome to episode 152 of Magic Markets and today we're going to be looking at a couple of retailers. So sometimes on these shows brought to you by B2IT, we do one global stock, one local stock. And I think that on this one, we decided to do two global retailers. And I think the reason for that, Mo, just not only because it's interesting, is because in premium, we also covered a US retailer this week called TJX, which I'd never heard of and which I now really like. So to those who want to find out more about TJX, by now you know what to do. Go and check out our premium offering for 99 bucks a month. It's really, really interesting. We do some good research there. But on this free show, Mo, I think you have gone and had a bit of a look at Target, and I did some work on Walmart. Indeed, Ghost. I, w- I wanted the winner this week, and and last week we had a lot of retail stocks out. We we had retail sales data out of the US, so it was retail heavy, and I think that's why doing a retail themed show in our free show this week certainly makes sense. Also, specifically because we saw a very different market reaction come through on those two stocks, on Target and on Walmart. I mean, Target shot the lights out. We saw like a 20% jump after the earnings were released. It subsequently kind of, you know, stabilized a little bit, but still up solidly in the double digits from where it was prior to the earnings announcement. And so I said, Tish, I want the winner this week. I'm going to take Target. You're taking Walmart. And what was interesting for me, and we're going to go into some of this, is that if you look at the performance underlying all of this, you know, it, it wasn't quite apparent why those stocks would perform so vastly differently. And so we're going to unpack some of that for our listeners, uh, and we hope that you find it interesting. So Ghost, why don't you jump in? Because Walmart's a brand that is probably better known in South Africa than Target. Uh, jump into Walmart, and then I'll follow up with what happened in Target. Sure. So Walmart's just done third quarter results. And by the way, the reason you might know it in South Africa is because they acquired MassMart. They went and bought in a long time ago when the Rand was still uh, a currency of some repute. And then they finished the job when the Rand was definitely not a currency of any repute whatsoever. So Walmart lost a lot of money on MassMart. It's actually incredible how bad that deal was. But moving on from that, it's a bit of a rounding error, really, in the global results. And it's quite interesting to see in the transcript, it kicks off with news that on a constant currency basis, international actually grew faster than the US in this quarter. So not all is bad internationally. It was up 5.4%, again, constant currency basis, more on that to come. US, 4.9%. Sam's Club, that's their sort of warehouse model, more similar to something like Costco, which is another company we've covered in premium. By the way, we've covered Walmart as well. Sam's Club was up 3.8%, so less than some of the other banners there. 
Now, it's not easy for large retailers to expand internationally. And again, that mass mart debacle is a very good example of this. So that is why when we look at the performance of these retailers who have expanded internationally, we have a look at their constant currency numbers. And that's the first point I really want to make. Now, this is because they all report in dollars. So they have to take the money that they make internationally and translate it back into dollars for reporting purposes. But when the dollar has gotten stronger, it obviously means that their earnings elsewhere in the world are worth less, not worthless, but worth less than they would be otherwise, right? So the problem with looking at dollar reported earnings on the international business is there's a huge component of forex volatility, and that doesn't tell you how that business is actually performing. Because remember, one year the dollar might be strong, the next year it might pull back, and then suddenly the performance looks very different. So that's where constant currency growth rate is actually really useful because management cannot control the dollar, but they can control performance, or at least they can try to. So we always look at these constant currency numbers in magic markets, and we suggest that you do the same. Whenever you're looking at any of these businesses, just look at what constant currency is. And it's on that basis that Walmart International is up more than its sort of North American counterparts. Now, if we have a look at guidance, which is something else that's always worth looking at, it's actually been increased for the full year after a strong third quarter. So full year guidance is for sales growth of between 5 and 5.5% versus 4 to 4.5%. That was the previous guidance. But operating income guidance, that has been maintained at growth of 7 to 7.5% because they had some unexpected expenses and some own goals as well. And that will be part of what the market perhaps didn't like. Now, the full year earnings per share range, they put that at $6.40 to $6.48. This puts the stock on a forward PE of around 24x at the midpoint of that guidance. Now, the 10-year average PE, admittedly a trailing price earnings multiple, but you know this is a one-quarter forward PE, so I'm not too upset about that. The 10-year average is 26x. The current forward, 24x. So it might look cheap on that basis, but I would say to you that the 10 years before the pandemic, it was only 16x. So including the pandemic is obviously skewing that drastically because earnings collapsed. The share price did fall as well, but didn't necessarily fall as much. So it's actually inflating the PE somewhat artificially. I would look at the 10 years before the pandemic, look at that average of 16x and ask myself whether I really want to be paying 24x for Walmart right now. You know, spoiler alert, I don't. And that's something that I always consider is where is it trading versus historical averages? That's a great intro, Ghost. And again, for, for new listeners, you'll know we don't script these shows. So I don't know what you're going to cover, but I'm glad you touched on a couple of key points in your first one being guidance, because I think that's largely behind this massive surge that we've seen in Target's price. Let's let's first maybe rewind. I mean, Target's not on the same kind of scale as a Walmart. It doesn't carry as many product lines. It tends to be a lot more, I guess, you know, it focus on, on, on fewer SKUs, you know, and, and when you look at that, you know, it, is it directly comparable? I, I would say Walmart may be operating or more closely comparable to the likes of Costco. That's a company that we've covered here at Magic Markets Premium, as you've mentioned, Ghost. But let's go back to Target. I mean, Target, again, third quarter results and really quite solid. And what do I mean when I say solid? Well, the market was actually expecting, based on previous guidance, earnings per share off between $1.20 and $1.60. Well, they actually came out at $2.10. So that scale of the beat tells you one of the reasons why the market reacted the way they actually reacted is that it was a massive beat. We saw net income surging by 36% based on where it was a year ago. And this was well, well ahead of the company's guidance. So that resulting in a roughly 20% move in the shares last week, Wednesday. Now, what actually drove that? We're going to unpack 
what's happened with volumes, what's happened with margins in the coming points. But what was quite important for me, first and foremost, is sticking on the point of guidance. The company raised its midpoint for its full year guidance by 9%. So if I compare that to the numbers that you just shared with us from Walmart, that's roughly running at twice the growth rate of Walmart uh, then they're about maybe 50% higher. Uh, I think you mentioned 7% on the earnings per share guidance coming through from, from Walmart uh, in terms of their guidance. This at 9%. So a fair amount higher than that. And so it's conceivable to see why the market really pushed target a lot higher versus where Walmart actually went. I think Walmart was down on the earnings announcement. Now, a couple of interesting trends behind this for us is let's maybe look at margin. I want to I first look at guidance. Let's look at margin. I'm going to throw this into the first point I discuss here is that margin also improved and was a material improvement. So it improved by 270 basis points versus where it was a year ago up to around 27.4%. Now, that sounds quite high. Obviously, once you bring that all the way down to an operating margin, a little bit more of a tepid performance, still expanding, but only by 130 basis points to 5.2%. And the reason I want to highlight this is because retail is a really, really tough business. And if you look at that gap between gross margins and operating margins, you can see how tough these businesses are. And so on a base of 5.2%, 130 basis point improvement is still quite material. And a lot of that improvement came through because of an operational cost deleveraging that came through from a lower sales base. So on that basis, a strong performance on the margin level, as well as strong guidance and a beat based on previous guidance explaining the knee-jerk reaction. But we're going to unpack in our coming points, what does the outlook look like, as well as what's driving the growth and what are some of the trends that we're seeing in different product categories, as well as demographic trends. Retail is all about detail, Mo. That's the, the horrible cliche that people always use. And we can kind of see it coming through, right, in these numbers, revenue growth, operating leverage. It's a game of inches. You know, it's a few percentage points here and they really do make all the difference. And it's important to know what to look at. So some of the metrics that I think are also worth highlighting, which I'm going to include in this point now, e-commerce growth, that's one of them. That's always something that retailers will have a look at. And in the case of Walmart, it's quite interesting to see that Walmart US e-commerce sales up 24%, so way higher than the rest of the business, 16% in Sam's Club. So the more the warehouse business kind of lends itself more to people going into the store perhaps than actually buying online. And then they say 15% overall. Now, what happened to international? I hear you hopefully ask. That's the balancing number, right? And there, if you dig a bit, e-commerce sales actually fell 3%. Now, this is where reading the results becomes very important. You can't just take that at face value and say, oh, that means international's e-commerce business is terrible. What a disaster. You actually have to go and read. And the point to read here is that the Flipkart big billion days, sounds very exciting, that moved from Q3 to Q4. So in other words, it was in the base period, but not in this period. So e-commerce growth in Q4 in the international business is going to be really high year on year. And in fact, a drop of only 3% in this quarter, I think is actually really impressive because a very big shopping day was in the base and not in this period. Now, another important metric at the moment that retailers are all looking at is inventory levels. Retailers have been holding back on purchases this year as demand literally fell away. And that led to a big swing in supply demand dynamics. And again, the company we're covering this week in premium, which is TJX, they swoop in there and they pick up that slack from manufacturers. They are an off-price retailer, so they go and buy up the excess inventory and then they sell it at a nice discount to consumers. We went quite sharply from an environment of supply shortages to a supply surplus, and this really hurt manufacturers of FMCG stuff. Now, Walmart describes its inventory levels as being in good shape, with inventory down 1.2% 
for the company despite the increase in sales. Now, this is the kind of inventory normalization that suppliers want to see. So perhaps there's some hope here for these FMCG businesses. And again, that speaks to a business like TJX. Is the environment starting to turn? Is that oversupply of products starting to correct? Yeah, Ghost, inventory is certainly a key point and, and leads me into my next point here when we look at Target as well. I mean, here the firm also decreasing its inventory levels uh, and a lot of that was based on promotional activity. I mean, they've got to get their inventory levels right so they then promote a lot of products that tends to hurt margins. It didn't in this particular case, which tells us that the company was successful in strategically decreasing its inventory levels and perhaps just priming itself for where they see themselves in the cycle. So let's let's start to answer some of those questions because yes, I've just given you the top line. It looks fantastic based on where expectations were. It looks great on a year on year basis. But to use your word here, it's one that I don't quite like, but I'm going to use it here, the cadence. What's happening from one quarter to the next quarter? And this is where I start to question that 20% rise that we saw in the share price, because how sustainable is that really going to be? If we have a look at just quarter on quarter performance, we actually saw sales declining by around 5% in the third quarter. So even though it's up massively on a year on year basis, the, the cadence not looking fantastic. And that 5% decline, wait for it, was actually led by a 4% drop in transaction volume. So this telling you that activity levels are actually declining, quite different to what we're seeing at some of the other retailers that we've actually covered, uh, certainly in other categories. And what's concerning us here, and concerning the company as well, is that discretionary product categories are a bit of a weight on the firm's top line. You know, if you have a look at, you know, just people and their ability to spend in tough economic times, that makes sense. But what was concerning as well is in Target's case, their food, beverage and essentials product lines also posted modest declines over the last quarter. So where's the good news here? Interestingly enough, the beauty assortment, that was a bright spot on the company's numbers. You know, they posted high single digit gains. And this is interesting for us because, again, we've covered companies like Ulta Beauty. That's a beauty retailer. We've covered LVMH and how well they're doing, for example, in Sephora. So beauty coming through as a fairly strong theme across retail. And they've also indicated in Target's case an increase in spending frequency in the beauty category. So this is helping them offset a decline in other discretionary categories. Uh, and I guess part of the saving grace, but the important point for me here is that it's showing us some interesting underlying trends, that there's economic pressure, but despite that economic pressure, the beauty category surprisingly seemingly holding up. And I guess, you know, they say you can put lipstick on a pig. You know, that, that's the question. Are these retailers putting the lipstick on the pig quite literally with this beauty category? Beauty is such a good business. I mean, you look at something like Clicks and Discam in South Africa and how well they've done. And the reality with beauty is it's high margin. The stuff lasts on the shelf for a long time. You know, lipstick doesn't just go off. You can pack a whole lot of high value stuff into a small space. It's a beautiful, <laughs> sorry, it's a terrible pun, unintended. It's a beautiful business. It is. Anyway, before I make any more awful puns by accident, let me go into my final point here about Walmart. Now, there is an old story out there that inflation is sticky. You know, prices go up, but they never come down and it's a disaster and all those things. Now, there's some truth in this to some extent, but less so when consumers are busy seeing flames, right? Now, in that situation, there is a desperate fight to hand on to customers and to win new ones, or at least to retain market share. This means that retailers are looking for every opportunity to actually pass price savings on to consumers, just like they looked for ways to pass on those price increases in the first place. For example, there are now pockets of disinflation. Yes, drops in prices, particularly in something like food at Walmart. 
Now, this shows you how volatile some of the industries like poultry and seafood are, which is why buying those manufacturers is a risky game because the price movements go crazy and they are basically just price takers, not price makers. Now, this is helpful for volumes growth, obviously, but not so great for overall sales growth because inflation is a component of that. But general merchandise prices also worth highlighting here. These have come down by low to mid single digits. Now, this is allowing Walmart to roll back pricing ahead of the holiday season. You know, it's 2022 all over again, and here's the new price. Now, that's great news for volumes, but this is where the delicate balance of inflation becomes important. And this is the point I wanted to raise is obviously the Fed increase in interest rates that helps to squash demand. This in turn leads to, you know, too much supply, then suddenly supply gets dropped to respond to the drop in demand. And then there's a decrease in input costs further up the chain. Now that benefit comes through to customers. Prices drop all the way through the chain. They get passed on to consumers. And so what happens? Consumers can now buy more. So what we hope to see here is a modest uptick in volumes, not another buying bonanza. Because guess what? If there is another bonanza, inflation is coming back. We're going to go back to this you know, rhetoric around more rate increases to squash this happening the next time. So it's just really cool to see the lag effect of interest rate increases, supply and demand and how that works in terms of pricing. And you can learn so much about that from just looking at general merchandise prices at Walmart. You know, and that's what makes the market so interesting for me. Yeah, Ghost, that's why I love blending the macro and the micro, because you have to put the two together. You have to see, you know, on a macro level, yes, you know, interest rates have gone up. What's the lag effect? I mean, monetary policy, you know, uh, practitioners, policymakers will always tell you that there's roughly an 18-month lag from when you initiate hikes to when you start to see it come through uh, on the ground. And that's really kind of where we are in the cycle right now. We're, we're heading to that kind of vintage, uh, and we're probably going to start seeing the impact of those rate hikes as we're seeing it come through in terms of company results. It's also important for me to map that against, you know, how these companies perform in different cycles. So why, for example, retailers do really well in periods of inflation, and then perhaps less well in periods where inflation starts to cool off as they try to defend market share. I'm going to move into my third point here, Ghost, and that's just looking at some numbers at a headline level. I like to look at the relative performance because we've discussed Target, We've discussed Walmart. We haven't included on the show a discussion on Costco. And that was a really powerful, strong business that we've looked at. So I, I just looked at those over the last several time periods to say how they performed. Now, I've indicated on Target just on the last earnings release, that stock gapped up around 20%. So that's basically constituting all of its performance over the last month. But that's a little disingenuous. So let's look at a year-to-date performance. And on a year-to-date basis, Target significantly underperforming Walmart. Walmart's up 8% on a year-to-date basis. Target down 14%. If we extend that over the last year, Walmart pedestrian 2.5% versus Target at minus 20%. But interestingly enough, over a five-year time period, Target actually outperforming Walmart. Target up 89%. Walmart only 62%. So you can see that it does depend on where each company is in their respective cycles, how well they are executing on their strategies. Let's look at another metric. And I'm going to come all the way back to a much longer term lens. And I'm going to bring Costco into this discussion. But before we even go there, we know some of our listeners like looking at dividend yield. Target, maybe a bit of a saving grace here, a much higher dividend yield than Walmart. Walmart, I think, currently at around a 1.5%, Target at around 3.5%. So remember, over long periods of time, the dividend can constitute quite a material component of your total return. Always keep that in mind if you are a long-term investor. But 
ending off on this specific point goes Costco. I've excluded Costco, but on a year-to-date basis, Costco actually outperforming both of these companies up 28%. And over five years, shooting the lights out up 164%. Again, for reference, that's more than twice Walmart and almost twice what Target gave you over the same time period. So again, a very different business model, a membership a subscription-based business model at Costco, uh, but it certainly is worth looking at all of the players in the space where they're making their money. For me, Ghost, you know, in fact, between Walmart and Target, that's the reason I threw Costco in there. I think probably a much more defensive type of business model, and that's what I'd be going for versus the two that we discussed today. What about you, Ghost? Look, I don't want to pay huge PEs for anything in the retail space. I'll be honest with you. I mean. People talk about, I saw something so interesting on Twitter slash X the other day. You know, someone was talking about how Apple is so dangerous to hold at the moment. And I've done my own thinking about Microsoft versus Apple. And I would definitely choose Microsoft right now. Apple is is somewhat X growth, but on a high multiple. But someone replied and said, yeah, exactly. I mean, imagine you could have Walmart instead and be paying a PE in the mid 20s for something that's also very pedestrian actually and not tech. And what upside does it really have? And I think that's the point is these kind of, very expensive, supposedly very defensive retailers. I don't know. I think there's just too much room for consumers to change their buying habits, to switch, to spend more, to spend less. A lot can go wrong. And I think for me, this is not really what I want to be buying. I'm not gonna. Le- I'm not gonna let you cop out. Can Ghost. I just choose? Can I just choose what we covered in premium? I want TJX. That's <laughs> I, what I want. I want what we covered in premium this week. Don't make me choose between two things I don't want. I want the one we covered in premium. <laughs> that's what I want. <laughs> and, and perhaps that's all the more reason, because that's where we've got to end it this week. That's all the more reason. If you're not a premium subscriber, go and check out why Ghost is really so excited about TJX, a company he hadn't heard of until last week when we put it on the radar. Uh, go and check it out. It's only 99 Rand a month. And that's where you get not just this level of insight, but much deeper analysis on the company, on its strategy, its bull, its bear box as well. Uh, and what are some of the drivers and some technical analysis. But that's unfortunately where we've got to leave it this week. We hope you've enjoyed this show let us know hit us up on social media it's at magic markets pod one word it's at finance ghost and it's at muhammad nala or go and find us on linkedin pop us a note on there until next week same time same place thanks and cheers ciao we thank our sponsor b2it for making this show possible b2it is all about making life easier one robot at a time if you hate it automate it visit b2it.co.za to kickstart your business automation journey This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor.